0: You are listening to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today we are talking with Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, welcome or welcome back to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast. I am Lydia Miller here with my dad, Pastor Jeff. We are continuing on. We talked last week about the different sacraments that we have here at Sunnybrook. If people missed that, give us just a brief overview about what we mean when we're saying sacraments.
1: Yes, it comes from the word sacred. So it's the things that we hold sacred together as a church, kind of this constant remembrance or sort of rites of passage, if you will, of things that we see in Scripture that are important still to this very day in our lives. These are the two that Jesus participated in the New Testament. That's why we continue to do them to this very day, baptism, and today we're talking about communion.
0: Communion. So if you come from a different faith background, communion has probably looked different. Honestly, really in any church context, I feel like communion kind of varies in terms of how they do it.
1: It does. It it varies in how often it's done. Mm-hmm. It's often varied as to whether or not people stay in their seats or come forward, mm-hmm. um, whether it's real... You know, ornate, or whether it's just very simple. Whether can the bread f-
0: is good or not yeah. good, yeah.
1: <laughs> whether it sticks in your mouth when you got to say <laughs> the words afterwards, yeah. Whether it's all of those
0: prepackaged things. or homemade, pre-packaged. yeah. So I want to talk for a moment before we get into why we practice communion the way that we do and what it looks like in our context and in our day. Let's go all the way back to the kind of the origin of communion in Scripture.
1: Yeah, it it really goes back to Jesus' Last Supper. You know, he gathers together with the disciples there in the upper room and they celebrate together the Lord's Supper. I always say it was a very simple thing when Jesus instituted. Now today we got all kinds of costumes and vestiges and all of those kinds of things. But when it was originally done, it was Jesus. They had gathered together. They had eaten the meal. Now when the meal's over, the scripture says he takes a piece of bread. And I don't think he was saying this is actually my body. He's saying, listen, this, this is going to represent my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then he holds up the wine and he says this cup is going to represent my blood that's going to be shed for you. And I... You know, there and later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he'll talk about the fact that this is to be done to remember him, Mm -hmm. that that they wouldn't get that far away from the cross, but they'd always remember uh, their relationship with Christ and what he had done for them. So it was really this kind of common time that they came together to remember the death and the burial and the Mm -hmm. resurrection eventually of Mm -hmm. Jesus.
0: And when you read it in scripture, it really is just this Humbling, sacred, holy, intimate moment between Jesus and his closest followers. But as the church often does, it's gotten really complicated over the years. And it it feels like there's a lot of disagreements and opinions when it comes to communion. Yeah,
1: very much so. And, you know, again, those disagreements are going to be over whether or not this becomes the actual body and blood of Christ, whether, as Lutherans would say, he's in, around, by, and under. Use the
0: fun words for that. Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation
1: would be the Catholic doctrine. Uh And basically is this, is when what they call the host and uh, those kinds of things are blessed by the priest, now all of a sudden they become the actual body and blood of Christ. That's Mm -hmm. why if you drop it, Mm -hmm. uh, that's real serious because for them, this is the actual. We don't believe that. We don't Mm -hmm. hold to that. We think they're more just symbolic Mm -hmm. in nature. Mm Uh, Lutherans would hold to the doctrine of uh, consubstantiation and that simply means that even though we don't believe that the host or the bread and the cup actually become the body and blood of Christ, we believe that he's present in, around, and by, and under the elements. Uh, More from our tradition, we would say they're more symbolic in nature. Uh, Though it's spiritual, we think that we're transported into the very presence of Christ, spiritually speaking and we remember what Christ has done Mm -hmm. for us. But we believe that in the Last Supper, when Jesus gathered, sort of as a gathering together of the Passover, and he gathers together with his disciples, and when he takes a piece of bread and when he takes a cup of wine, Mm -hmm. these are just symbolic. We don't think they're actual body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. So there's some different theology that goes along with that, but we would hold more to a symbolic view than we would of transubstantiation or Mm -hmm. consubstantiation.
0: Mm Now I obviously grew up taking communion always in your churches, so I've always taken communion in fairly. Funny that you went fairly, to the
1: church that <laughs> fairly, I would pastor. Yeah. I know
0: I didn't have a lot of a choice. I, no, that's, that's we my didn't ride. give you one. I don't that think. That was my ride. Um, so I was very familiar with you know sort of the idea that communion was passed. I remember Simeon, my little brother, always insisted on being the one to take the center cup out of the, and he would get really mad because sometimes I would get it before him and I would take it out and we'd fight. Mom would yell. Um, but I remember when Trent and I started dating, he came from a Catholic background and I remember sitting in the service and he leaned over to me and he was like, Hey, we're all going to go up and take communion. And I was like, sweet, I'll be there. And he was like, no, you can't, you have to, you're not allowed to participate in it. And I was like, What the world? And he sort of explained it out as best he could in kind of a quiet environment. But there is obviously a difference between we practice open communion and then there's closed communion as well.
1: Correct. Yeah. A lot of churches will practice what's called closed communion. So maybe you've been to a wedding before or those kinds of things where they've served communion and everybody went forward, etc. Mm -hmm. You weren't allowed to do so. And the idea. and he
0: said that there would be a lot of people that wouldn't go for it. I was the only one. You were the only one? Yeah, it was really
1: awkward. I remember it was my whole world when we went. But the idea was just simply this, is that you you have to be a member of that church. Mm -hmm. For them, it's a means of grace. And so if you're not, haven't been baptized into that church and following sort of the means of grace, then you're not allowed to do so. We think we practice what is known as open communion. So we say to people, and often when we, what we call fence the table, and fence the table just simply means, hey, we're going to give some guidelines as to who should participate and who shouldn't. So we'll often say, hey, if you know Christ is your Savior, and then the line used to be, and you're a member of of a church of Jesus Christ and in good standing, meaning you're not under discipline, you're not living in unrepented sin so to speak because scripture is going to be pretty clear in first corinthians chapter 11 that when we take it in an unworthy manner we eat and drink judgment on ourselves so we're saying in effect hey listen uh this is open to anybody who knows christ is their savior but just make sure that you know you're right with the lord you've confessed your sin you've dealt with what's going on in your life because that's really what it's about there, there's some moments we always have of preparation for communion where we're confessing our sin, writing relationships around us, just being aware of what's going on in our lives, and then we're taking you know, symbolically uh, what Christ has done for us. But we practice open communion, mm-hmm. meaning anybody who knows Christ is their Savior, whether they're a member of Sunnybrook or not a member of Sunnybrook, as long as they're a believer, mm-hmm. then they're invited to the Lord's table.
0: Is there a reason we pass it instead of having people go forward?
1: Yeah, and again, it's just our background would say that there's a sense in which we want to take it together as a body. Mm. So often in more liturgical churches, you know, there is sort of this difference between the pastor who's standing up there or a priest that's standing up there and people. So everybody faces toward the altar and then you come closer to the altar and you take it because that's just a little bit more holy and precious we would say no listen the the presence of christ is everywhere in the mm-hmm. sanctuary and the presence of christ is in your home and mm-hmm. in your workplace and all so we just say listen we're going to take it together as a body i'm not better than anybody else mm-hmm. and i'm going to take it with you and we're going to wait till everybody's passed and then sort of as preaching this sermon looking mm-hmm. back to the cross and looking toward the return of christ together Uh, we're going to participate as a body. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, obviously we have, we've gone to this recently. We used to do the fresh cut bread and the little cups. We've gone to the prepackaged ones, which are not as good, but when you're serving communion to 2,500 people, it is a little bit more time effective. But talk to me about the grape juice instead of the wine. Why aren't we serving (laughs) real wine to people?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. But I would just hit on what you said about the prepackaged, because I know some people struggle with that. But in today's day and age of germs, ever since COVID-19, You'd be surprised how people don't want mm-hmm. a tray that comes with a lot of bread in it that somebody's picked a piece out of. So yep. we've gone to that, and I recognize, believe me, I take it too. <laughs> the bread's not nearly as good, and uh, usually the, the juice is a little bit warm. But you asked the question, why did we go to grape juice? And, and we did so actually about in the 30s. There was hmm. a sense in which we made a decision, 1930s, the Protestant church, hey, listen, we're not going to. Uh, take wine anymore because sort of framing things that would happen for an alcoholic if Mm. somehow they were to take the wine and maybe that would take them back or Mm. maybe that would cause them problems to stumble. So we made a decision at that point in time as a Protestant church that we would no longer serve wine kind of in deference to those who struggled with alcohol. So that's why that's pushed in that direction. Again, since we think it's symbolic, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't think that's a big issue. But we do serve grape juice rather Mm -hmm. than wine uh, to protect Mm -hmm. alcoholics.
0: I do think it needs to be said. This holds no bearing in the conversation we're currently having, but your bread is scored for you, so he is not ripping that bread in half with incredible strength on Sunday <laughs> yeah. mornings. We've Every, cut that pretty much all the way yeah, down the everybody
1: middle. Everybody <laughs> always says, "Boy, you really do a nice job breaking that bread." Well, actually, it's power of the spirit. It, it's pre-done.
0: <laughs> it's, yes, we, you are set up for success yes. there. So you mentioned this earlier, and I want to hit on this just a little bit, because it's not a super fun thing to talk about, but it is an important thing to talk about. You mentioned um, the scripture where it talks about there's a way that we can kind of take communion in an unworthy manner where we drink judgment upon ourselves, which has been something that has always stood out or kind of scared me a little bit when approaching the communion table. Talk to us about what that scripture means and how we can kind of prepare yeah. ourselves for communion? Uh,
1: obviously, the, uh, when Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's certainly talking about people who are non-believers. If you've never made a commitment to Christ as your Savior, then in all honesty, and we say this often at Sunday breakfast, mm-hmm. just pass it by. Yep. If it's being passed out, just let it go. We're thankful that you're here, glad mm-hmm. that you showed up to worship with us. Mm-hmm. But this is really one of those elements that's for believers only. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, I think it's critical that we prepare. In other words... We kind of examine our own lives. So usually on social media and some other platforms, Mm -hmm. we put out, hey, here's what you do to prepare for communion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just examine your heart, see where you're at. Mm -hmm. Is there any unconfessed sin that you need to kind of disclose before God? I would Mm -hmm. spend some time in prayer and say, God, could you search my heart? Is there anything that I'm not aware of that I need to confess? It could be restoring relationships. Uh, Remember the scripture in the New Testament says, hey, Mm -hmm. listen, if you got trouble with your brother and you've come to worship, leave your gift at the altar, first go be reconciled to your brother, then come to worship. So mm-hmm. if there's relationships that need to be reconciled, relationships that need to be restored, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's with your spouse, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with a coworker, but we think those are the kind of things that can stand in, in in the way of your relationship with God. Again, if there is sort of this horizontal relationship with God, we think those vertical relationships with people around you can somehow affect that, so we mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're right. But we're always trying to say the week before we participate together in communion, could you prepare your heart, could you do some examination, could mm-hmm. you confess your sin, could you restore relationships around you, so that when you take of the elements, so the body and the blood of Christ, that you would do so in a worthy manner. Not that any of us are worthy. All of us are saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ, but that we would do the proper heart work Mm -hmm. to ready ourselves to come to the communion table, Mm -hmm. because it's serious business. Again, it's sacred. It's part of our sacraments. Mm -hmm. This is uh, critical, sacred, holy ground, and we want to be rightly prepared Mm -hmm. for that.
0: One of the things I hear from people sometimes, or they'll just ask, hey, when's the next communion? How often do you guys do communion? It feels like we don't do it very often, especially if people are used to partaking in it every single week. There is thought behind that, even though yeah. it maybe feels like there's not.
1: Yeah, this is another issue we handled years ago as elders. And we said together at one point in time, the denomination we we're a part of said we needed to do it four times a year. We felt as though that wasn't enough. So it was mm-hmm. quarterly. So we've decided to do it six times a year, which would be every two months. Now, if you come to a, from a Christian church background, you do it every single Sunday. We think that's too much. Mm-hmm. We think it becomes rote and ritual that you're going through it without any thought, without any meaning. Mm-hmm. And you being the creative arts person know this. We, we wrap everything we do that day around mm-hmm. communion. So it is sort of our centerpiece. We mm-hmm. preach toward it. We sing toward it. We worship toward it, all of those kinds of things. So we said uh, about six times a year is kind of the time that we think we can make it special, mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not rote and ritual and yet not do it so much that it becomes exhausting for the people. So mm-hmm. that's what we do about once every two months. That did not uh, pan out perfectly. It's not like we do it the second mm-hmm. Tuesday, the second. Mm-hmm. We, we don't do it that fashion, but we've just made a decision about every two months. So six times a year we do communion.
0: We're actually going to have, this is probably the second year we've done this, but we'll be doing the service before we get to Christmas Eve. I believe it's Sunday the 17th we'll be doing communion because it's just been a cool way to sort of, like you said, examine your heart, prepare yourself for the Christmas season and the craziness and busyness of it all. Um, So if you are wanting to have communion, make sure you are here that Sunday, December 17, and that will be a communion service for us. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. We will see you again next time. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.